WNYC, Atlantic staff writer Catherine Wu normally writes about science. She's been on this show a number of times over the last few years to talk about COVID, for example. Today, though, we'll speak with Catherine about something much different, the bonds between people and their pets, the topic of a recent piece of hers in The Atlantic, and we'll dwell on one relevant question. Is your pet your family? And to take it even further, is your pet your child? Catherine writes... Quote, the bonds humans forge with animals can feel as strong as the ones we make with each other. The question is how much validation those relationships should get. So Catherine Wu joins me now. Hi, Catherine. Welcome back to WNYC. Hi, always good to be here. And listeners, where do you stand on the question? Are you a pet parent? And you can tell any story. 212-433-WNYC, 9692 Call or text. Why do you raise the question about how much validation those relationships should get? Shouldn't a pet be considered a member of the family and get maximum validation? You know, I I admit that the genesis of this piece was maybe a little more selfish than the genesis of some of my other pieces. I think I just spent a little bit of time wondering why. I got so much flack sometimes from friends and family when I would go out of my way to accommodate my own cats. Uh, if I would, you know, leave dinner parties early to go home and be with them. If I would fuss over when they were going to get their meds. If I would think about, you know, oh, I can't be out of the country for this long because I need to be around for, you know, these two little creatures that depend on me. And a lot of people were just very skeptical, uh, sometimes even mocking. And I sort of wondered, why is this? Why do people react so strongly, even sometimes with a little bit of disdain? Is there something more going on here? Is it about just, hey, we shouldn't treat other animals as we do humans? Is there something maybe a little extra sacred about the parent-child bond that these people feel like is being violated? I wanted to dig into it and see if I what I was feeling was mm-hmm. more common. And I'll let the listeners in on the fact that you being you, your cats are named Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, But do you you have an example of parenting, if I could use that word, Calvin and Hobbes in ways that might go above and beyond how some other people relate to their cats? Yeah, I mean, I will admit, I don't think I am necessarily on the farthest end of the far end here, (laughs) but I can certainly relate. I think for me personally, um, you know, one of my cats, Hobbs, is kind of a a nervous weirdo. He's afraid of food of all things. So, you know, we have to have everything completely quiet when we feed him. I sit down and I will put his food on his plate and everyone else in the house has to pause what they're doing. If he hears a butterfly flap its wings a mile away, he'll stop eating and just run away. (laughs) (laughs) So we usually have to tell people if they're over, you know, please just chill out, sit where you are for a second. Uh, It can be a little annoying and off-putting to them, but it's one of those things like, I got to make sure my my cat eats. Otherwise, he's just not going to do it. Brendan and Kimball Park, oh, Kendall Park, right? In Jersey, you're on WNYC. Hi, hi, Brendan. Hi. Hey, Brian. It's nice to hear from you. Um, Yeah, I uh, recently lost two beagles um, my two beagles in a divorce, 
and um, the loss is crushing. I feel mm-hmm. like I can't mm-hmm. see my children, and um, mm-hmm. it feels like there's nothing that can solve this this ache um, that I that I feel. You know, they I used to sleep with my dogs. And um, too much information. I have seen them. <laughs> Just months. kidding. I hear the pain in your voice, Brendan. It's really, really terrible. How does that go? If you're, if you're comfortable saying, in a divorce proceeding, was it contentious in court as to like who got custody of the pets? No, uh, it. I felt that that your ex should my have wife. It. Could probably take better care of the dogs due oh. to just that I wasn't able yeah. to secure right. stable housing. But you're experiencing grief. Yeah, I would say profound grief. Thank you for sharing. What a sad story, Catherine. Yeah. I don't even know what my question is, but what what a what a what a sad story, and we hear it in his voice. Yeah. And, you know, it makes so much sense. I think there is this gut reaction when people are separated from their pets or when pets die, people are like, oh, just get another one. But uh, it seems to trivialize the relationship that was there. You know, you for a lot of people, you can no more easily replace a beloved companion like a dog than you can replace a spouse, you know, even a child, a, a, a sibling that you grew up with. It, you know, for some people, they see their pets more than their spouses, especially if they work from home, especially if they have this incredibly close relationship where they, uh, there's the t- dependence on when they go outside to go to the bathroom, when they eat, when they sleep, where they sleep. It is this huge hole that is left behind when that is taken away from you. Susie in the village, you're on WNYC. Hi, Susie. Oh, hi. Well, I have a somewhat more cheerful story. So Good. I bought my dog a co-op and a car. Um, I had a big furry dog. My building went co-op. I thought no place else in the world is ever going to take this dog. So I bought the apartment for the dog. There's no other way to get her around than to have a car. So whatever pain it is, I have a car in the city for my dog. A previous dog had developed breast cancer when I was in grad school. I had no money. Took her to the animal medical center, took out a new credit card just for dog treatment. Um, Yeah, my pets are absolutely family members. They get exactly the same care any other member of my family would get. Susie, Mm. thank you. Thank you very much for for sharing that story. Here's another one. Justina in Queens here on WNYC. Hi, Justina. Hi. uh, I, I am a cat lady. But I have always been, ever since I was a kid. So I don't really like people um, making that stereotype about, you know, a girl or a woman being not married, which I'm not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I have always loved cats and I have a couple right now. But what I wanted to point out is uh, a friend of mine who always looked funny at me whenever I was telling her a story about my cats. She ended up with two dogs when COVID hit. And guess what? Now she's the one not being able not to talk about her dogs. And she cries whenever she has to leave town. And my point is, they are our family. You just have to try. Adopt one, uh, bring one from a shelter, 
and you don't see how big a love it it brings out from out of you. I hear the love in your voice, just as I heard the grief in Brendan's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but Catherine, you write in your article that people have never been this obsessed with their cats. So what's changed? Yeah, I think there's a lot that has changed. I think there are some big sociocultural shifts and also just people are are more willing to come forward with these sorts of feelings. I certainly don't want to deny that people have had very close relationships with animals since the beginning of human history, but modern living, especially in the Western world, has made that easier. We've also, in recent decades, really opened up what it means to be a family. I think there was still very much this prevalent stereotype of a a quote-unquote family should be like a mother, a father, 2.5 kids inside of a white picket fence. And we, of course, know that that doesn't have to be the case. You know, there are blended families. There are divorced families. uh, There are families with many, many parents, with single parents, with no kids at all. And pets have entered that picture as well. I think as soon as we loosen the definitions of family, it becomes very clear that there are set roles that have to be filled. It just matters that you are having these meaningful, reciprocal relationships with another living creature. You know, when I cited the line from your reporting um, in uh, in the intro, um, let me go back and find it so I say it exactly right. You wrote, the question is how much validation those relationships should get. And I think Robin in West Harlem had a reaction to that. Robin, you're on WNYC. Hello. Yeah, hi. Thanks. I strongly object to this idea of should should we have this much care for our animals? Should we show this much love? Who's evaluating the quantity that is appropriate or not? And who's saying this much love is good, that much love is bad? Like that's what's gotten us into trouble as a species in the first place, that humans are more valuable. Humans are at the top of the hierarchy. That's that. Yeah, I just I really object to the should. Catherine? That's all. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think... The idea is less about, you know, my goal is not to prescribe how much people should love their pets or anything else in their lives, whether it is a human family member, a car, their job. The should is actually more about if people do have certain kinds of relationships with their pets, uh, is that something that society should or should not criticize, that society should or should not have... uh, I guess jurisdiction over. I think this is reflected in a lot of things, policies. Uh, Do we give bereavement leave when someone loses a human family member as well as when they lose a pet? Uh, You know, do we give leave when someone adopts a new puppy and is maybe losing a lot of sleep, potty training them at night? Um, I think these things are are coded into a hierarchy right now. Is that correct? Uh, Definitely not about whether or not people should care for their animals a certain amount. I think whatever people want to do is fine, but hopefully the rest of society sees it that way, however much or however little people want to give to the members of their family. You know, we haven't even talked about service animals yet, which Mm -hmm. suggests a special relationship, but Clyde and Kingston is going to. Clyde, you're on WNYC. Hello. Yeah, hello. I have a service animal by the name of trigonometry. Mm-hmm. Great name. Um, he is a uh, 
extremely good at racquetball. As a matter of fact, I have never won a game. <laughs> he can shoot the ball across two or three walls without any problem. I've never seen a dog that actually shoots the ball. Um, not only chases it, but also catches it and shoots it. Um, I share my meals with him. Uh, he eats a human meal, um, occasionally a little bit of dry dog food. Um, which I think might be the reason why there's so much cancer in dogs. One of the differences between humans and dogs is that uh, dogs eat a lot of dog feed and humans don't. Mm. He's been potty trained to go to the bathroom in the shower or the bathtub, depending upon. Because as a, as if I'm in the, as has happened when I'm in the hospital, uh, I can't walk him, and it doesn't make sense for someone to drive, you know, two hours to. To find him and walk him for twenty minutes. Clyde, can I ask: um, is is the fact that that your dog is a service animal? Um, do you think that makes your relationship with the dog different than other people uh, and their relationships with pets that are not service animals? I realize it's a generalization. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I think that people who need dogs need dogs, and I don't think they should be deprived of them because they're not service animals. Um, mm-hmm. Clyde, thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Another super close relationship, heartfelt story. Anything mm-hmm. you were thinking listening to Clyde? I think he's got to up his racquetball game, Clyde, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, I think what is really important to point out there is a lot of the times, maybe a more typical relationship that people have with their pets is this is an outlet for them to perform caregiving. I, I feed my dog. I take my dog to the vet. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I make sure that my cat is brushed, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But it's also so important to highlight what animals can do for us in professional roles and also more casual roles. You know, there's research showing that a lot of human animal relationships can lower distress, uh, can improve well-being. I mean, just look at how many people got comfort from their animals during the absolute worst of the pandemic. And of course, those relationships have been formalized uh, with service animals. And that is really important. It really can be incredibly bi-directional. And sometimes I don't think we appreciate that as much. Listener texts. Please stress the importance of pet insurance. When those family mm-hmm. members get older and infirm, it can be heartbreaking and financially ruinous to care for cancer and heart ailments. We're, we're going to run out of time, but thinking about Clyde's call and all the things that he was saying his dog can do, let me squeeze in one more question that's actually based on another pet essay that you wrote recently. The essay is about the evolutionary phenomenon of cats who fetch. Really? There are cats who fetch? Oh, yeah. I've, I've got one uh, right next to me, actually. Uh, <laughs> looks like he would enjoy a good ball toss. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I think this is a very underappreciated phenomenon. There are studies that show that a decent percentage of cats do this, and it doesn't seem to be something that people are deliberately teaching kittens. A lot of them just do it naturally. But think about it. It's kind of a natural hunting instinct. And Cats also figure out, hey, if I bring this thing back to my human, it's going to get tossed again and I can chase it again. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you did that so uh, efficiently that we're going to squeeze in Emily and Yonkers. Emily, we've got 30 seconds for you. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Um, first time, long time. Um, I just wanted to say that um, I, uh, I'm i a big animal lover. I've been vegetarian for 
uh, 24 years because I grew up on a farm and animals have always been family to me. Um, and I just want to also plug the angle that I work with children um, who have very high complex medical needs and many of them are non-speaking. Mm. And when I see the um, certified animals that can come into the center to visit, um, the means of connection that don't require wow. words um, yeah. It's yeah, just so, so moving, and it's and, just, uh, and I just wanted to say, I think, yes, to, very to important. accessible and, to, to people in that situation. Emily, thank you. Nice call for the final words as we thank Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic, who raised all this in her recent article. Catherine, thanks. Yeah, always good to be here. Thank you. Brian Lair Show, produced by Mary Croak, Lisa Allison, Amina Cerner, Carl Boisrond, and Esperanza Rosenbaum. All humans, Zach Goddard Cohen produces our daily politics podcast. Stay tuned for Allison.